Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm so happy to welcome IMHIP's legislative consultant and good friend, John Louder to talk about public policy in Illinois and the state budget. John, we chat about this all the time, so I'm so grateful that our listeners can hear your expertise. Welcome, my friend. Well, thank you, Samantha, and thanks for having me on. Um, I'm always, uh, you know, always like to talk about uh, Illinois policy, especially around the budget. And uh, as you said, we've had many conversations around it. Now. Uh, We'll let others kind of nerd out with us uh, over this stuff. So, exactly. uh, you know, exactly. <laughs> and and you and I, I know your background. I know why I'm always, whenever I get a budget question, whenever I think, hmm, how did this used to go? I call John Louder, my friends. But John, for our listeners, can you just give them sort of a little bit of your background and why, you know, you know so much about what is the Illinois state budget? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, so, you know, my background is, is from a staff perspective, and I spent 18 years working on the House Democratic partisan staff on their research and appropriations uh, staff. And for 14 of those 18s, I served as its director. So um, it was a very unique staff, produced some very wonderful people, Samantha, that staff did. And um it, it, it kind of had two hats. Uh, it, you know, we had a, a substantive side where we um, kind of helped members uh, in their committees with their legislation. Uh, we analyzed bills um, and, uh, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the passing of the legislation part of it. And then the other half was the budget. And it's, my staff would take the different parts of the state budget uh, once it was, uh, you know, presented by the governor, and then we would analyze it, break it down. Um, we would uh, then try to work with members of our caucus to craft a budget that, you know, could not only get 60 votes in the House and 30 votes in the Senate, but the governor would sign. And um, I had the great privilege of leading uh, that efforts through 14 state budgets. And um, in the end of the day, uh, my staff, the staff that I headed, uh, we drafted 12 of those 14 state budgets. So, um, you know, when people <laughs> talk about where the bodies are buried in the budget, uh, you know, at least uh, up until the time I left, I, I kind of knew where they were because I was kind of the guy that was burying them. That's exactly right. You know the ins and outs, you know the special funds, you know where there's a little extra room if you needed it. And, um, you know, what were those programs that could always use, you know, those extra pennies from the couch cushions, should you ever find them? Um, and you really saw ebbs and flows of the state budget, um, including some of the hardest times, you know, working through and leading the state through the Great Recession. Um, your leadership, um, really helped the state sort of find some footing, not sure footing during that time, because I don't think anybody found sure footing during that time, but but some footing to sort of make it through really the perfect storm. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean the 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 following the state the the Great Recession um 
Well, the, the first time that the state ever brought in less money in one fiscal year than the previous was actually following 9-11 because the country shut down for about a month. And that really kind of hurt receipts coming in. Uh, but that was just a few dollars short. Um, following the Great Recession, we had two fiscal years where the state brought in less money than it did the year before. And you know, for the vast majority uh, of state budgets, it's kind of you you build on the budget before you either subtract or add and and when you are bringing in less revenue uh, for a couple of fiscal years and significantly less like in the billions uh, it really required some very difficult budget making uh, to put together a budget that could get to that 60 votes in the house 30 votes in the senate and the governor to sign it and you know maybe not all the decisions were great that we made back then uh, but we were able to weather the storm and we were able to put put a budget out, uh, you know, not the greatest budget in the world, but it functioned and and state government operated. So, um, yeah, very difficult times. Uh, ones that I don't necessarily would like to relive. Absolutely not. I was with you on those those times <laughs> that we uh, do not want to relive. And I think it's important also for our listeners to know not only did revenue drop, from year over year during that time period, but your costs naturally go up, right? Like naturally we all experience things growing, you know, whether it's pension costs or labor costs or sort of some of those things that increased for the state. So there were increased pressures. And if you think about a recession, you know, there are things like Medicaid that we talk about all the time, it's counter cyclical. When there's a recession, more people rely on Medicaid, which means the program grows, it becomes more expensive. So you had all these pressures, increasing pressures on the state, and you had decreased revenue. So it, it made for really challenging decisions and budgets that were far from perfect, but like you said, weathered the storm and kept the state you know, moving forward. So now that we've sort of talked about where we've came from, where we've come from, let's talk about oh, what a difference time has made. Like things are really different now. And this year, especially, can you sort of like recap and from your assessment, talk about where we are fiscally in Illinois um, and sort of what you see on the horizon, given all of the, I don't know, moving pieces and the tea leaves, at least for me, and I would love your thoughts on this. They don't all read the same way. I mean, it's not, all clear. So I'd love your sage expertise on this. Sure, happy to. I, I, I think, you know, if, if we want to talk about the current fiscal year, I, I, I'd like to, to talk about the fiscal year we just ended, FY22. So in FY22, for the first time in the history of the state of Illinois, general fund revenues topped $50 billion. They came in at $50.3 billion. What makes that even more significant is the previous fiscal year, FY21, was the first year that general funds topped $40 billion. They came in at $44.9 billion. So over the last two fiscal years, we have seen a significant increase in general revenue dollars. And um, the reason for that is really the same reasons that we as a nation are dealing with rising inflation rates. The Fed, you know, COVID came and the federal government sent a number of stimulus packages, which basically distributed a whole bunch of money to the American people. 
And as good Americans, we spent it. That's what we did for them, you know. So you do that, you have all this demand, uh, consumer demand out there. And you couple that with the fact that uh, we also provided for extended and enhanced unemployment benefits. So there wasn't a big rush for people to go back out in the workforce. So what you ended up with is you had a strain on the supply chain, which drove up prices, and you had a job market that was screaming for workers, which was driving up salaries. And um, both of those together was a strong benefit for the state because the state's two biggest drivers of tax receipts are the income tax and the sales tax. And both of those are a percentage of either salaries, which were going up, and uh, of course, goods and services, which there was a massive spending um, uh, frenzy, which was also driving the cost up, which also means higher sales taxes. So what we saw was a rapid increase in general revenues. Just three years ago in FY20, general revenue receipts were $38.1 billion, okay? Those climbed to 44.9 in 21, and then 50.3 billion in 22. Lay on top of that, the federal money that was sent directly to the states, and Illinois was in a very, very good fiscal position. Because of that, now, as we sit here in 23, we've paid down our bill backlog. Remember, this was a bill backlog that just six short years ago was almost $16 billion. That is now gone. Uh, we, uh, we've also paid off most of our short-term borrowing uh, that we had to do to get through those times. And we built up a rainy day fund that now has a billion dollars in it. We've also seen the state make some very large investments in education and in social services. So as far as what the future holds, I think it becomes a question of sustainability. We've kind of resolved, uh, you know, cleansed ourselves of our sins of the past. We've kind of cleaned the slate. But we're also relying on this higher level of revenue that's coming in. And the question is, is that sustainable? You know, the federal money is all but spoken for. That's, that's pretty much gone. General revenues are expected to moderate. For FY23, they're expecting general revenues to decline, to decline nearly $4 billion or 8%. But even at that level, we're still expecting general revenues to come in at 46.4 billion, which is significantly higher than what it was just three years ago at FY20 at 38.1 billion. So, um, you know, as we again, as we look forward, are we going to be able to um, uh, kind of withstand any moderations in revenues and continue to go forward without having to face significant cuts again? Um, Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. I, 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 yeah, I would say this though, Samantha, the state, the, in, in, to their credit, I mean, there was a feeding frenzy on the, on the spending side. There's no doubt about it. A lot of money went into program, no doubt about that. But they did a pretty good job. They, the state, the budget makers did a pretty good job of moderating that spending somewhat. You know, they spent a lot of that extra funds on one-time spending, all that paying down on the debt. 
that was one time spending. They did all these tax relief programs that you're seeing coming out now, whether it's the suspension of the, the gas tax increase or the suspension of the tax on food and drugs. You know, they're paying for that out of that large, you said, that general revenue fund. And so, you know, when it, th th those are one-time spendings that don't have to be replicated going forward. The big ones are, once again, a bunch of money has gone into education, into the base. A bunch of money has gone into social services, into the base. Those will be the ones that, you know, hopefully we'll be able to keep a level of, of GRF revenue that will allow us to maintain those. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Responsible decisions, hard times, a lot of uncertainty ahead, but really found, you know, solid footing in a way that we just haven't for, like you said, you know, six years ago, the situation was really different. And we went several years without a state budget, um, you know, with the past uh, gubernatorial administration. And so, you know, and that really, that, that was a real challenge. And it, it, it did a number on our state's fiscal um, well-being. Another thing that we have done as a state and as an industry, John, that I'm excited to talk to you about, because you and I were sort of in the trenches on this, is so we came, I also came from legislative staff. John was my first boss um, and, and taught me so much about what I know within the space. And what we have known for a long time is the more you shift off of general revenue, general revenue is the revenue that comes in from like your income taxes, your, it, it has the most flexibility for the state. The state has the ability to spend it on anything from higher education to highways, right? Like they, they, it's their revenue. It's not tied to a federal source. It's not tied to a special service or a special tax that has limited um, utilization. It can be spent on anything. When you remove pressure from GRF, if you shift more of a program to what is called an other state fund, um, you sort of can insulate and protect that program to some extent because then you know, the ebbs and flows of the regular tax dollars don't necessarily impact that program as much. And so one thing that we did here in Illinois as an industry, when there were talks of Medicaid rate cuts and Medicaid cuts um, several years ago because of GRF pressures, again, this is before COVID, this is before revenues, you know, sort of rebounded in the way that we've seen, the Medicaid health plan industry stepped up with what is called an MCO assessment. And, and John, can you talk about why, like from your perspective, that's so important to stabilize the Medicaid system and, and the importance of it, not just for us as NCOs, because obviously Medicaid you know, matters, but you know, for the providers and for the state as well? Oh, absolutely. Um... You know, I, I think it why it's so important is it comes down to the whole system of how Medicaid is funded and our relationship with the federal government. Um, Illinois is one of the worst states in terms of federal reimbursement for Medicaid spending. As I'm sure uh, everyone knows that's probably listening to this podcast, Medicaid is a publicly funded health care program. Their costs are shared between the federal and the state government, but the split is not the same for each state. The amount that the federal government will pay could be as low as 50% or could be as high as 83%. And that level of participation is based on a state's per capita wealth. The wealthier the state, the lower the percentage. Unfortunately for Illinois, even though we have a lot of need, 
over 25% of our population is on Medicaid. We are a wealthy state on a per capita basis. As a result of that, for the FY23, our federal match is all the way back down to 50%. We were a little higher recent. Now, this is the base match. There is obviously a, 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 an enhancement in place because of the public health emergency. But our base match has, has backed down to 50%. We were a little, did a little bit better than that in recent years, but now we're back to the bottom. Um, to put that into perspective, you can look at just our neighbors. Wisconsin's over 59%. Iowa's over 63%. Missouri and Indiana are nearly 66%. If you extrapolate that extra 60% reimbursement that Missouri and Indiana get compared to Illinois, and you put that on our $24 billion Medicaid program, it would mean an additional $3.8 billion a year in federal match to the state. And that's a significant amount of money. Because of this, because of that position, I think the federal government gives us a lot of latitude to try to make up for that. One of those that they do is, is these assessments. And basically, as, as you said, what, what, an, what an assessment allows, it allows the state to tax a Medicaid provider in a manner that allows the state to spend those funds on Medicaid and capture the match. The providers are then basically made whole and the state can draw down additional federal funds. Um, the state has three of those. We have one on hospitals, one on nursing homes, and now we have the one on the MCOs. Uh, now, the hospital and nursing homes have the benefit of receiving enhanced rates because of their assessments. So basically, it allows them to pay for their rate increases. The MCOs, on the other hand, even though they're made whole from the, the assessment, they, it doesn't cost them anything. They get no additional benefit uh, from the federal funds. A hundred percent of what comes off of the MCO assessment goes to help offset GRF spending. And, and that's significant because, you know, in FY23, that assessment is nearing the total value of the program is nearing $3 billion. And a significant portion of that goes to uh, offsetting that GR spending. This has allowed the state to increase funding, especially in the long-term care area and to long-term care facilities, including funding a significant portion of the nursing home reform bill that we passed this spring. So, you know, an assessment and with MC with managed care there allows for this to happen. If we did not have managed care, you could not do the assessment. And it's just another reason, another benefit that the states gets uh, on everything else, you know, on improving health, health, health outcomes, you know, managed care improves health outcomes, managed care um, helps uh, hold costs down and make the program affordable. And now managed care is directly providing, you know, a significant, a significant amount of money uh, to the state budget. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just another added benefit, Sam. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess I hadn't thought of this, but as you were talking and as we're thinking this like $3 billion, which is not, you know, I don't have $3 billion in, the, in my couch cushions, if you will, right? Like that, that, that's not a small amount of money. It's not a small amount of money even to, you know, the state of Illinois with their very large budget. You know, like you said, with managed care, not only do you, does, the, does managed care and care coordination, you know, improve outcomes, stabilize costs, but with this assessment, it actually decreases the burden on the regular Illinois taxpayers. And so, 
it's really important to note that if our system were to drastically change, it could impact like the Medicaid program, which again impacts about 25% directly of our entire population. It could in- impact how we tax, you know, regular folks and how we can invest in education, higher education, highways, all that kind of stuff. Because if you lose this revenue, the pressure of the Medicaid program doesn't go away. And that's absolutely true, Samantha. And, and we just need to look back at the router administration when we had the budget shut down. I mean, it was very clearly, even though there was no budget, all those costs still accumulated because the courts have made it very clear that, you know, just because you don't fund it, you know, it doesn't mean that these services go away. Um, so, you know, uh, if, if you're right. If, if managed care, if, if, if something would happen to managed care, not only would costs escalate, but you would lose the significant $3 billion benefit back. And the, the, the spending doesn't go away unless the legislature can somehow pass a bill to cut it, which, as you know, Samantha, is not an easy thing to do. Absolutely not. It is one of the hardest things. It's one of the hardest things. Like we don't talk about this a lot because we, you know, we talk about Medicaid a lot, but we forget Medicaid's an entitlement per the federal government. And so, as John said, just because you don't pay for it, like if if you don't, you know, appropriate for it, you don't pay the claims, people are entitled to the Medicaid program. And so those costs are still there. Basically, you're, it's like a credit card and your balance is just ticking up and up and up. You're going to have to deal with it at some point. So getting rid of the managed, you know, transitioning or ever shifting away from managed care here in Illinois, not only are you going to have a quality of healthcare issue, not only are you going to see costs increase, you're going to see revenue significantly decrease and you're going to destabilize the budget. And especially those folks that really rely on those dollars, like long-term care, nursing homes, caring for our seniors, you're going to sort of undermine uh, that system. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, John, last question, because I have to cut myself off at some point because you and I can talk about forever, (laughs) but we've talked about this year. We've talked about sort of where we are as a state. We've talked about the key role of a a very sizable $3 billion with a B dollar assessment. What do you sort of see in the upcoming session as both somebody who cares deeply about the Medicaid program, but also sort of that budget policy wonk? What are you looking for? What are numbers that you're sort of anticipating that'll allow you to sort of think through what does the next year or two years look like? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I think, you know, the first thing we got to look on or, and, and we got to take into account and we got to prepare for is uh, the ending of the public health emergency because that's going to create a lot of change. Well, maybe not even, it's going to take us back to uh, the way things were prior uh, to the announcement of the public health emergency, which is now going to be three years, almost three years. And, um, you know, I think it's imperative that we get out and we properly educate our Medicaid members to what that means. And, you know, one of the big things is, is redeterminations, as you know, it's been three years since we've really done a redetermination and it would just be a tragedy for someone to have a horrible health event or to be denied health coverage just because they failed to submit the proper paperwork. 
So this is something that I think we all need to do. We need to do it as a community, and that is to constantly remind those in charge, whether it's the department or others, that we got to take this seriously. We got to take all available action that we can take and, and, and provide all the available resources uh, to get this done and to make sure that people aren't needlessly uh, lose their health care uh, through, through a redetermination process. Um, secondly, looking to the spring, there's two things that I think we need to keep an eye on. The first is the election. So obviously any major changes in the executive or the legislative branch could result in a drastic change of policy. But also we probably need to keep an eye on the judicial branch as well. As you've just talked about, a lot of what we do <laughs> and more and more, uh, especially in the areas of human services and healthcare, a lot of that is played out in the courts, probably more so than the executive and the legislative branch. And there are two open Supreme Court races this fall, and the outcomes of those could really have a drastic, uh, could drastically change the attitude of the court as well. So I would, I would just, you know, uh, remind the listeners that's something else you may want to take a keep an eye on is how those Supreme Court races play out. Secondly, and we mentioned it before, we need to continue to monitor revenues. Yes, we are riding a revenue tsunami right now, but that could change and it could change as drastically and quickly as it came. And if those re revenues start to you know, tank, we need to see how uh, the policymakers or the budget makers are going to plan to address that. Um, as long as revenues are staying solid, they they're going to fall. We know they're going to fall. But, you know, as long as they're not falling horribly, because we did kind of build in a buffer, I think that we will be okay. I think that we will uh, be able to fund, uh, you know, the program at the levels that we need to, pro to, to fund them with. But if for some reason, you know, um, things really take a turn for the South, it's something we probably, you know, will need to get out in front of and start to have you know, conversations with budget makers on how they're going to handle it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, those are three, three things there that I think we, our listeners all know, I mean, especially at the national level, obviously the Supreme Court here in Illinois works a little differently. It's elected. It's, it's obviously because it's elected, they're not lifetime terms. There's a lot to dive into there, but we've definitely realized in healthcare, how much that judicial branch plays a role in what healthcare looks like. And so that will um, be something we'll definitely have to dive into further. John, I could talk to you all day about all of this. Um, I am so grateful that you took the time to educate our listeners on all that is going on and the ins and outs of the state budget. And I hope you'll come back and share your expertise and um, let us know what you're seeing as you look at these revenue numbers and um, when they come in. Absolutely. Glad to, Samantha. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely, John. For our listeners to learn more about what IMHIP is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.net and of course, subscribe to Sam Says. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the Sam and Sam Says. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.